0: Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce, I'm Katherine Miller. I'm a family lawyer based here in Westchester, New York City, and I'm on a mission to change how people divorce in New York. And my guest today is Janice Abrams-Spring, PhD, ABPP, and Janice is a board-certified clinical psychologist and a nationally acclaimed expert on issues of trust, intimacy, and forgiveness. She's the author of After the Affair, Healing the Pain and Rebuilding Trust, When a Partner Has Been Unfaithful, and How Can I Forgive You? The Courage to Forgive, The Freedom Not To, as well as Life with Pop, Lessons on Caring for an Aging Parent. Welcome, Janice. It's an awesome honor to have you.
1: Well, thanks for having me on your show.
0: You know, it's interesting that I designed this show to help listeners understand what's involved with divorce and what options people have to untangle the different threads of their lives, from their legal strategies to money to parenting and more And I think your expertise is so much on that more element of the emotional entanglement, the emotional ups and downs, and what it takes to make a decision to divorce if there's been an affair or some kind of other betrayal. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and what your experience is with it.
1: Well, you know, the people who come into my office have usually not made the decision to divorce. Usually, at that point, they're usually Questioning what direction to take. I think once the divorce is fi- is decided, then they, usually one person will come in, but not the other mm-hmm. not necessarily.
0: So they come um, together when they're when they're making that decision. If there's been an affair or something like that, they come together to try to figure out what to do.
1: Well, not necessarily. I okay. mean, often, often if one person is having an affair and they want to continue the affair, and the marriage blows up, and sometimes what I call the quote-unquote hurt partner, may decide to stay in the therapy. Often they're angry and depressed, and the person who is going on with their lives may not continue to be in the therapy. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it can take many different directions. I will say that an unusual combination that I see is that sometimes the person who wants the divorce and is getting remarried Wants to earn the forgiveness of the person that they've left. And this often happens later in the Mm -hmm. marriage, later, maybe years later. They share children and they want it to be less acrimonious. And we will begin a process of their earning forgiveness without reconciliation. There's no intention of this couple reconciling, but they still ha- share lives together and children, and they want to get along better. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. So there's also that process, which is very different than when the couple comes in, they haven't decided what direction they're taking. They're both in the marriage, but one is perhaps having an affair or is less committed to the marriage than the other.
0: Yeah. So I think one of the things that I've learned from you and from your work that I think is really interesting and important is the difference between sort of acceptance, you know, forgiveness and sort of the steps along the way there. You know, yes. to, you know, for an example, you know, oftentimes in culture, when someone says, you know, I'm sorry that, you know, blank, fill in the blank, it could be a little thing. I'm sorry I was late or I'm sorry I had an affair or I'm sorry, you know, something really bad. And sort of the societal expectation is for the other person to say, it's okay. But it's okay. Seems to sort of fold in a number of things, you know. It's like, oh, don't worry. What? I mean, that seems like a completely sort of. Maybe I'm five minutes late. It's okay. Maybe it is okay. But maybe it's not okay. Maybe I can forgive you, and still you could be wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, often when people say, "I'm so uh, I'm sorry, please forgive me," that's a pretty weak apology, and people need to learn how to, you know, what makes for a good apology. An apology has to be very specific. It has to capture the the heart of the other person. Uh, It it has to be heartfelt. You know, it it can't be, I'm sorry for for all the ways that I hurt you. Really? (laughs) It doesn't go very deep. You know, I am sorry that I chose alcohol over you again and again and that I humiliated you publicly when I would drink. It has to be specific, it has to be heartfelt, it has to be deep, it has to be personal. And so there are characteristics that, you know, when people say, I'm sorry for all the ways that I hurt you, it just doesn't do the job.
0: Because it feels it feels flip, it feels trite, exactly. it doesn't feel like there's a genuine recognition of the hurt experienced by the other person. Is that That's different? exactly
1: right. I mean, I mean, we all know, have that experience of having somebody offer, or, you know, ju- ju- offer a superficial apology where it hasn't taken two seconds worth of thought, and yet we're cut very deeply.
0: Oh, well, it but, makes it worse. I think an apology like that just makes it
1: worse. It, well, it could. It could. So, you know, I differentiate between what I call acceptance and genuine forgiveness. And the the way that this developed is that there has been basically these two options. You either forgive or you don't forgive. Mm -hmm. And when faced with these two rather extreme alternatives, a lot of people, they've been taught that forgiveness is good for them. We hear forgiveness is good for you, forgiveness is good for you. But a lot of people choke on that. And, you know, and also the idea that good people forgive, good people forgive. So this is what's commonly Said in the culture that forgiveness is good for you and good people forgive. And that's why people hate forgiveness, because of these platitudes that don't live up to real life for a lot of people. And so it occurred to me that if forgiveness is too generous, somebody has an affair or somebody hurts you in some way and they're not sorry and they don't make any meaningful amends, people don't want to think it's their job to forgive and they're going to get better if they forgive. So they're left hating and hurting, and that doesn't really prescribe a very good life. So then I began to realize that something was missing because there are going to be times when forgiveness is too generous and not forgiving leaves us hating and hurting and just vengeful and just chewing over the grudge.
0: Yeah, there's this expression that holding on to a resentment is like swallowing rat poison and hoping that the rat will die.
1: Yeah, yeah, you just keep swallowing that poison. So I went on to develop an alternative to forgiveness, which I call acceptance, and then spell out ten steps that you can take yourself that will help you transcend the wound and make peace with what has happened. So, let's say your partner's had an affair. They go on to be with this other person. They don't look back. They're not sorry. They're not apologetic. They don't really care about your feelings. People don't want to be told the healthy thing is to do is to forgive this person. So the acceptance would teach them, for example, one step is, are you obsessing about the injury? And, you know, the obsessions are these ruminations that go on in people's Mm minds over and over. How could you do this to me? And feeling incredibly injured and thinking over all the horrible things that the person did. So people need tools. How do you overcome an obsessive rumination? With the injury, people want to get better. They don't want to think about the hurt, but they don't, people will say, "I'm, I'm happy to stop thinking about it, but tell me, how do you stop thinking about it? So, I mean, there are strategies for interrupting ruminations. I mean, one is called, for example, thought stopping, where you may be driving in the car, for example, and you're thinking about how your partner hurt you and how he's gotten involved with this other woman. 20 minutes has just passed. You've just lost 20 minutes of your life. You don't even realize you're chewing over the grudge. So uh, the thought making would be that you actively interrupt the rumination by even calling out the word stop, 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 stop. And like a friend taking you by the hand, I'm going to redirect you now. Come with me. There's got to be something more interesting to think about right now. What are we going to think about? So Anyway, this would be a healthy step mm-hmm. in healing yourself. It's not forgiving. It's just getting yourself healthy. The forgiveness is going to be reserved for the offender who makes good.
0: Yeah, I, th- and, I think what you're talking about is what, what's internal to the, to the hurt person and then what's relational between the two.
1: Yes, yes. Right. The acceptance is something you do on your own. The forgiveness is something you do and can only do with the help of the person who has hurt you, whether that be a parent or a, a partner or a sibling or a child, whoever.
0: This is Katherine Miller. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce, WVOX 1460 AM and worldwide on WVOX.com. And we're also available as a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com and also available on itunes and i'm talking with dr janice abrams spring and we're talking about forgiveness and the steps that one can take to help deal with the emotional trauma of being hurt by another and what that might mean individually and as part of the relationship going forward and you know Janice, I think one thing that's really interesting is when people feel pressure to forgive, but they feel that the thing they're being asked to forgive is unforgivable. And then they feel sort of caught between that place. They want to let go of the resentment and the pain, but they feel like somehow if they do that, they're letting someone get away with something or letting somehow then the other person isn't being held accountable for their actions.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's how, that's exactly right. I think, again, I think it's helpful to differentiate helping yourself overcome your obsessive preoccupation with the injury and to get healthy, restoring a strong sense of yourself independent of this person who has hurt you, learning from whatever happened, and taking responsibility for whatever you did wrong as well. So those would all be steps, but that's different for me from forgiveness. Forgiveness can only take place between the two people held together by the violation. And so, let's say if there were an affair, um, even if people are getting divorced, what I would do is, if these two people would come in together, they each have a chance to talk out their hurts. How do you get close to someone who doesn't want to know about how they've hurt you? I, I don't think it happens. You know, if if you go to someone and say, you've hurt me, and they say, yeah, well, it doesn't take a lot to hurt you, <laughs> or you've hurt me, and they say, I don't care that I've hurt you. I mean,
0: or you, you know, shouldn't so, be hurt.
1: Yeah, you shouldn't be hurt, or you always get hurt. Yeah. I mean, this just doesn't inspire forgiveness. So the forgiveness process begins with, I care about you. I care about how I've hurt you. What is it you want me to understand? And even people who get divorced can earn forgiveness. So one person goes to the other and says, what do you want me to understand about how I've hurt you? And this is something they should be—they should think out. It's not something you come up with at the moment.
0: Well, but, Janice, do you think that, that forgiveness, does that require sort of the rebuilding or building of a new kind of trust or vulnerability between people or a willingness to explore that?
1: You mean if they stay together?
0: Well, even if they don't. Even, let's say you have a you know a divorced couple they share children they you know they're going to share events life events together there's been a betrayal of some sort and one person feels themselves you know hurt and we talked about this a little bit earlier they might want to come together and rebuild some kind of forgiveness between them does that that involves like some degree of letting down your guard and being willing to explore what this means and what it's meant to each of you in a genuine way
1: yeah well it, it's a it's a very interesting step. Let's say there's been an affair, the couple gets divorced, but they have children together, their lives intersect a lot. Let's say the person who's had the affair shows no remorse and has gone on to remarry. So now the person who, what I call the hurt partner, Mm -hmm. again, what I would suggest is that they work on the steps of acceptance. The acceptance is the healing of the self it's not the forgiveness. Forgiveness is going to be reserved for the offender who cares deeply about how they've hurt them and works to make good. But a step of acceptance could be, let's say for the woman, let's say she's the hurt partner. The husband has an affair. He goes off, he remarries, he never apologizes. So people then think they have to have a show of power. They have to cut off from this person. They have to be really mean and nasty because they have to show that you can't step on me that way. You can't hurt me without consequence. So they're bitter and the kids are caught in the middle between these warring parents. This is not healthy for anyone. People don't really know how to think outside of this box. But another way to think about it is that you can choose a level of a relationship with your partner that makes sense for you. It is constructive. It does not mean you have forgiven them. You begin to separate out, you know, choosing to Have a level of a relationship without forgiveness. So you may decide, for the sake of the kids, you're going to get along with this person, with your partner. You're not going to put the kids in the middle. You're not going to, because kids suffer. We know kids suffer when they're caught between warring parents, whether the parents get divorced or not. So you don't put your kids in the middle. You know, you don't say, so, you know, when you go to daddy's house, you know, I'm wondering if that girl is there, if he's seeing her. You know and and is she living there, and do you see any suitcase? You don't put the kids in the middle, or you don't say you know you know you tell Daddy that you know." He, our child support arrangement is that he should be buying you camp clothes. Don't come to me buying camp clothes. He he should be buying you the clothes. This kills the kids. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, we know that this kind of getting squeezed between warring parents is what affects the psychological adjustment of children more than the divorce itself. So you make a decision for the sake of the children and love for, for your own kids. You're not going to do that to your kids. Keep them out of it.
0: I think what is really interesting about your work is that it doesn't mean you're sacrificing yourself to do it for the kids, which I think, you know, so many of us do, like, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm going to sell myself short for the kids. And I think women are very prone to that, but I think fathers sometimes do that too. And somehow you're making a choice between taking, you know, really holding the, your, the partner, the betraying partner accountable for his or her actions and sort of taking it on the chin for the kids. But there's a third option, which is to say, I am not going to involve myself in reacting. I'm not going to do your behavior the honor of being in constant reaction to it. And I'm going to choose, I'm going to proactively choose to be my best self for myself and for our children and move forward from that place of power instead of a place of disempowerment.
1: Yes, yes. Well, it takes, you know, a framework to understand what what your goal is here and not just to, you know, spit venom at each other. So, yes, exactly, that you make a decision that you don't want the kids to suffer. You don't want to put them in the middle. You don't want to squeeze them. That doesn't mean you lie to them or you sugarcoat things. So there has to be some way of honoring your truth, but not, you know, putting, making the kids feel that they're caught in the war.
0: Yeah. And I think Dr. Janice Abrams-Spring, that's a challenging thing to ask people to do. It's hard to find a way to be authentic and true and genuine and honest without being angry and venomous.
1: You know, even though sometimes just saying that, people say, well, what do you say? What do you say? Well, yeah, exactly what you said. You know, with older kids, you might say, look, the last thing I want to do is put you in the middle between your parents. I'm not going to do it. That doesn't mean I don't have a lot of feelings, a lot of hurt feelings, and that maybe someday we'll talk things out. I'm not prepared to right now, and I don't think I, I you know, I have things sorted out in my own mind, or, but. You know, I've been very hurt, or your dad has hurt me, or your mom has hurt me very much. But I really don't want to talk out the details, and I don't want you caught in the middle. And I want you to have a good relationship with both of your parents.
0: I think that's. I think honesty is often the best policy. So this is Katherine Miller. Uh, you're listening to the Dialogue on Divorce. We're here every other Wednesday from five to five thirty on WVOX fourteen sixty AM and worldwide wvox.com. dot com available as a podcast on my website, www.WestchesterFamilyLaw. And we're talking with Dr. Janice Abrams Spring, an expert on issues of trust, intimacy, and forgiveness, and an author of a number of successful books. And Janice, I'd like to tell, I'd like to give you first a chance to give your contact information. If people have questions or comments, how can they reach you and learn more about your work and your books?
1: Okay. Thank you. So my website is com. It's J-A-N-I-S-A-Spring.com. I have an office in Westport. I've been in practice for 38 years, and that number is 203-227-4771. And my email is on my website, drjaspring at com. My books are After the Affair, Healing the Pain and Rebuilding Trust When a Partner Has Been Unfaithful. The second one is How can I forgive you the courage to forgive the freedom not to? And the third is Life with Pop, Lessons on Caring for an Aging Parent.
0: That's great. Thank you. And I'd like to talk if you if you we've talked a lot about acceptance and a lot about what happens when 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 parties to some a betrayal aren't maybe going to work together but what are the steps that people take when they do really want to work to find for true forgiveness
1: with reconciliation yeah uh well the way that i often begin is each person has a chance to talk out their hurts so i'll meet with them and we will make a hurt list what are the hurts that you need your partner to to appreciate not every single hurt but the mega wounds over the course of their lives together partner comes in And I also work with them how to talk out your hurts. You can't bludgeon somebody with your pain and think they're going to listen with an open heart. You have to be respectful. It doesn't mean you sugarcoat it, but you be respectful. And so I will work with them to talk out the hurt. The other person listens with an open heart. They do what's called mirroring, which is basically telling the other person what it is that person wants them to understand. So they have the experience of being heard. And when that person gets it right, then they take notes and they go home and they write an apology letter that doesn't just say, I'm sorry, but goes hurt after hurt after hurt, spelling out and capturing the very specific hurts. That's a critical step to getting close to someone that they've heard your hurts and they understand how they've hurt you and they care deeply. It's so quite hard. I think. It's very hard. It's very hard. So, you know, the second would be is why did you do it? You know, to spend some time thinking about whether it could be an affair. Why did you do it? I don't know why. Well, if you don't know why you did it, then you know, why would not you do it again? So it's not like it's oh, I did it for this reason. There may be fifteen what I call contributing factors. You know, of why people have affairs. It could be you know that you you know you're you're turning 50. Your father died at 50, and you don't realize you're. Terrified of dying. It could be that your partner has spoken to you in a nasty tone. You've never spoken up, and finally, you're going to get your revenge, or you're going to get even, and you're going to get out. And you've never said, you know, I, the way you speak to me, makes me feel completely demeaned. It's not working. We've got to get into therapy, or I don't want to be in this marriage, or I find myself attracted to people who are nicer to me. So, all the reasons why did you do it? Not as excuses, but to understand the contributing factors.
0: And really the truth, really it's that person's truth which gets often so buried underneath the action.
1: Yes. And building trust. Trust is not built on, you know, reassurances. Trust me, I'll never do it again. Trust has to be built on concrete behavior. So what are you willing to do to help me to feel cared for by you, loved, respected, These are very concrete behaviors. The little things that you do every day, you know, from the moment you get up to the moment you go to sleep, the little things, and people begin to construct lists, very concrete, and they look at these lists every day, and I, you know, if you do things on this list, you're going to be closer, and if you don't do things on the list, you won't be closer. There's a very cute New Yorker cartoon where the wife goes in and the husband is in the laundry room. She says... Look at you folding towels the night before couples therapy, you know, and absolutely, that's right. Offer help. That's right. I feel closer to you and I don't feel closer to you when you don't offer help. So these caring avenues to love can be spelled out in very concrete terms and people are more likely to be loving and caring if they have spelled it out for each other.
0: I think it would be great if people started their relationships like that, not just to had to deal with those issues in reconciliation.
1: Right. It, it starts from the from the the, the, uh, the day you first turned to each other.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Janice Abrams-Spring. It's been really a pleasure and very informative.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much for having me on your show.
0: It's been great. Thank you.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.